Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. It's Liz here, and I am joined by our good old friends, Chris and Brian, today. And we also have newcomer Jackson on the podcast. So, Jackson is a fellow Twitter troll like the rest of us, um, who also does a little bit more of the media stuff. He's got a YouTube channel called Jets Hub. He does some graphic design stuff. Uh, we're really happy to have him here today. So, we're just going to sit down, the four of us here, and do a quick roundtable talking about kind of the last month of the Jets sort of thing. We haven't done a roundtable in a while talking about really the changes that we've seen, the changes we haven't seen since hiring Dave Lowry as interim head coach. And just talking about, you know, the losing skid the Jets are on, the COVID issues they face, kind of how they should be looking going forward, things like that. So I thought we'd just sit and chat about that today. So um, first things first, Jackson, welcome. Any um, opening thoughts you want to tell the world about um, your Jets take? So you're going to give us a quick free handle to start us off or any any opening words you want to give us um I don't I don't really know what there is to say but the the team's just kind of a disaster right now <laughs> that's just kind of how I feel oh, and he fits know. right in <laughs> I, I just feel like we every step forward that we take we're taking two or three back it really feels like a Rodrigo song <laughs> the Jets are an Olivia Rodrigo song Trader, one step forward, Brutal. three steps back, you know, all those, all those good ones. Driver's <laughs> license, Mark Shifley MPI commercials, you know. Um, but yeah, so we're on a quick little five-game losing skid right now. Um, we've had, I want to say nine defensemen, eight, ten defensemen suit up in the last six or seven games for the Jets. We've had a couple of guys shifting around with the uh the addition of the taxi squad. We've had Christian Reichel, Austin Pagansky, more of those guys coming up and playing and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Chris, to throw it to you to start, how are your kind of your thoughts on the current personnel of the Jets with the um, the playing up front, um, as well as kind of the usage down low with the defense and how that's been shaken out in the last couple of games? You know, um, it, it seems like we're seeing uh, just a continuation. I I made a tweet a few weeks ago about the fact that I envision that when Paul Maurice, um, and I'll use air quotes here, quit, he just changed out of his track suit and put on his suit and then left. And then Dave Lowry just sat down at his desk and continued on. Um, there's not any changes at all. And the changes that are being made are just reek of Paul Maurice. <laughs> they, they're, they're the same moves, they're the same strategy. Um, there's been, obviously there's, there's some things that are working up front, um, but questionable, everything is questionable right now. And it's, um, it's really aggravating. You expect when you make a, a significant move like that as an organization to see something, um, change, um, I think we can all agree. And I think even, uh, the most positive jets fan can agree there's been no change it's it's the exact same thing um i've noticed even though the results aren't there a little more movement on the penalty kill as far as the players move around a little bit more it's not doing anything it's not helping but there's a little bit more activity um some aggressiveness up front uh that we didn't see earlier in the season but essentially there's no change and um the the only good changes have been injury or COVID related as far as lineups go. 
Classic injuries say... make you better lineup decisions than Paul Maurice since 2016 or whatever yeah. it was. You know? <laughs> since 1998. <laughs> or whatever, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Um, I think it's more the same, but like a more chaotic version of so not exactly the same, but how do I word this? It's like there are a couple of positives to draw from. Like you said, um, the aggressiveness up front. I think there is a little bit more of that. Um, but I think that I think the good decisions, like he's trying more things, but like half of it is good and half of it is really bad. So like some of the forward line stuff I'll say has worked. Like I liked the Stastny Shifley Ehlers line um, that they had at the start of the Lowry tenure there. Um, Cole Perfetti, obviously playing with Dubois and Connor. That's a, that's a really good one. Other than that, I don't understand a lot of what's going on. Austin Pagansky in the third line. Now he's an AHLer, and I get it. He's working hard and you want to reward, pardon me. You want to reward the guy for hard work, but Evgeny Svechnikov works hard too. And he's twice the player that Austin Pagansky is Christian Veselainen is in my opinion. I think he's been pretty solid this year. It doesn't seem to be a super popular opinion, but I've, I've quite liked his game this year. I think you could send him up to the third line to play a little bit more. Um, why does it have to be Pagansky? That I just really don't understand very much. Um, I want to jump on that, the Christian Besselainen thing super quick, just because I agree that it's a bit of an unpopular take to think that he's been doing well. But I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my perception there is that he's doing well but not in the ways that people had expected him to based on the kind of player that he is. And therefore they're not seeing it translate as well. And what I mean by that is we thought we were getting a little bit of a sniper, you know, a good shooter, blah, 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 kind of thing. And while that part of his game hasn't entirely been his strong suit, I, you know, cause he's been playing on a fourth line with Dominic Tony Nato, um, but he's been really yeah. good. Um, his 200 foot game has been good. His defensive numbers have been quite impressive uh, in my opinion. And I think, as like an all-around player, if you didn't have any kind of preconceived notion of him, you'd think that he's doing really well. But a, pe- a lot of people just, you know, they expected a score from our first-round draft pick, and he's, you know, serving the team better, in my opinion, because we have lots of those guys who can fit just fine in the top six. Uh, but I've been really happy with him, too. I don't know if I'd say he's serving them better, but what I will say is if you want a sniper, if you want to score, put him on a bloody scoring line. Well, th- yeah, that's exactly like, right. You're right. You're not going to get a score putting him with Dominic Toninato or Jansen Harkins or Adam Lowry. It just one thing I've like seen, that. the coach has actually played him with Shifley and Cop a few times, and I've a been few... super excited to see that. And then it goes away like it's three mm-hmm. shifts, five shifts. And I think, and I just one thing, good. yeah, he looks good with them, right? I just wanted to touch on one thing you said though, Brian, about the the work hard, like the Pagansky and the Tony Nottos and that. This isn't house league hockey. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, you're working hard. Where are the results? I don't care. Yeah. Put your best players out there. And, and that, it, that's just crazy that maybe that's bigger picture, true North Chevy, all of this stuff that we talk about so often. Right. But that's crazy to me that a guy like that 
who apparently, Brian, you got told on Twitter a couple days ago how much better he is than Svechnikov, Bogansky, <laughs> despite there being no sample size. Um, but that's crazy to me that in in NHL hockey that just work really hard. Man, that's how my 14-year-old daughter makes the basketball team is by working hard. Not how you get on a third line. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy so, to me. Yeah. Um I don't remember where I was going. I don't remember if I was going anywhere with that. Let's let someone else continue. I don't even remember yeah, where just, I was going. Just with just that. one thing, one thing I'll say on that with uh with Veselin and like when he gets the opportunity, like when we were down three nothing in Nashville when Lowry was moving around the lines, I thought he looked good with Shifley, and I think it was caught it was Copper Stastny on the wing. And I thought he looked fine there, but it's he like again when you when you're on the fourth line playing with Toninato and a Jansen Harkins or a Christian Reichel, you're just not going to see that sniper. And uh, I think if Perfetti what didn't make or like didn't go past these nine games, I do think that maybe they'd take a look at him there because they don't seem to want to play Sveshnikov there or anywhere near the top six anymore, even the top nine. So I don't know. I just don't think there's much of a opportunity if they keep putting Pagansky on the third line yeah Why not both I in my opinion oh yeah and I think that's also like to me that's the Jansen Harkins like facade is like people are, like ask any like po- random person on the street like what do you like about Jensen Harkins they're gonna say he works hard that's gonna be the first thing to say he 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 plays hard he like I can't even like the way that you describe like a like a peewee hockey player right like he goes hard to the net like things like that like I've never been the hugest Jansen Harkins fan but yeah it's like that's the kind of thing that it's like you know good in the room okay but what does he actually produce works hard okay but where are we actually seeing the results right like where are we actually like maybe they're not immediate results like after a sample size kind of thing like when are we actually going to get you know reap the benefits of putting this person in this position and if you're never going to then why are they there so I feel like that there's a, definitely something to be said there. I'm not judging Pugansi as an NHL player because by my own laws, I can't judge people like that until they have a bigger sample size because I preach sample size from the mountaintops. But there's also the fact that he's, what, 25 years old and he's played like six NHL games before with the Jets or before the Jets, right? Like it's there's a difference between that and bringing up a young prospect who might be bad. I don't know if that's a good little segue into something that I'm sure we're going to be talking about because we haven't yeah. touched on the blue line yet. And there's mm-hmm. lots to talk about there. Totally. If you're... Um, sorry. Uh, Go. Yeah. I was going to say Jansen Harkins reminds me so much of Brandon Tanev. Like he's just maybe a step slower than Tanev and maybe doesn't grind, doesn't, doesn't hit as much as Tanev, but other, other than that, less. Other than that, he's Brandon Tanev. Mm-hmm. If your team, if your team in the bottom six is running Pagansky, Harkins, Tony Natto, uh, Reichel, you're the third worst team in your conference. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> right? Surprise. Yeah, like we've been preaching for 10 years well really six about evening out the lines four lines um all that kind of stuff and if these are your guys if these are guys that are important to your success see that <laughs> you're not going to have a lot of success guys that should be important to your success are christian Veselainen and nikolai ehlers and kyle connor and pierre luc dubois and mark shifley like you know that's the guys that should be important to your, to your success not 
fringe NHL, AHL players. And the fact that, that this is a thing still on a team that's supposed to be competitive this year is crazy. Like, um, congratulations to those guys playing and you need guys and bodies, but let's stop trying to force these guys into roles. I totally understand, um, you know, with COVID and like, you know, if you're on a road trip and all of a sudden when your defenseman goes into COVID protocol, you play the Nathan Bullios because you don't have any other options kind of thing. But it's like when you're healthy scratching, if you have any to play Austin Pagansky, I don't know if Jackson you want to touch on this, but that's where I think the issue lies. Like, it's not like you're, you know, grasping at straws, trying to find guys to fill in the lineup. Like you have a healthy guy right there and a healthy better guy that I we've all probably made this exact same tweet what the hell does he do that Evgeny Sveshnikov can't hey one one thing though that I, I I just don't get why he's looked I don't know he's just looked so good this year defensively too and we obviously have an issue with team defense uh and I I just don't understand why you wouldn't prioritize playing a guy like that other than or like as opposed to playing an Austin Pagansky or uh Dom Tonato, any like anybody in our bottom six. The bottom six is so thin. And I think if you were to put Stasny on the third line, which he is right now with Sveshnikov and like Lowry, maybe, like I think that line would be okay. But uh, I, and then, sorry, I'm just, just going off that. I, I don't think Lowry is the, the third line center uh, that the Jets need. He just, I feel like he kills a lot more plays than he makes. And he does a fourth line center. If we're talking about it the way it stands now, I mean, I guess it means you have to you have to continue playing Wheeler in the top six, which is whatever. And uh, I haven't minded Wheeler's game actually in the last couple, but uh, I digress. You could put Andrew Kopp in the middle on the third line too. He'd be an excellent third line center. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of what I was hoping they'd do this year is maybe move Stastny back to center on the third line, maybe yeah. where he's more suited and you have like in a perfect world cop and uh, like Sveshnikov on the third line. That's kind of what I was hoping they'd do, but it really seems like we're committed to playing him on the wing. I don't think he's played much center since coming back for the second time. So I would argue that I don't know if they're committed to playing him on the wing per se, but I think they're committed to Adam Lowry being our third line center. And mm-hmm. that means Paul mm-hmm. Stassen is not going to be our fourth line center. And then you have Dubois and Shifley in their natural positions. And I feel like there's that, that thought process there, you know, Adam Lowry glue guy always been our three, not always been our three C, but that's kind of like his cut role with the team. And like, I just, I'm, I'm not loving it. Like I keep saying, I was like, Oh, in the playoffs, you run Shifley, Dubois, um, Stassi, Larry on the middle. And that's a, that's a decent team right there, but you know what? We're not even going to get there. So we ain't going to see it, but that's okay. <laughs> we might get it. We might get it early though. If they think that they're going to go for it, we might get it early. Um, because you know, they're going to go for it. Like they're not going to start selling right now. Well, not yet. Um, yeah. If they get more healthy, losses and they probably, it's getting to that point. It's true There's, too, right? Yeah, it's it's not looking great for their playoff chances. Regard, like they'd have to be pretty impressive for the rest of the way, I think, in order to make it. Yeah, I Fish think part cut, of that right? also yeah. comes from, for me at least, being absolutely blindsided by the California teams not sucking as much as I thought they were going to. Like I thought it was going to be pretty not easy, but like 
I was pretty confident that both of the wildcard spots were going to be central division teams, but it's not necessarily looking like that anymore, which is wild to me. Um, and I, that, you know, hurts the chances even more for the team, but, uh, it's uh it's definitely not um kind of the like you're saying list the cakewalk we i think we all kind of thought it would be and um yeah it's (laughs) so is that what we want to talk about because that's that's where we're at like brian said we're a couple of losses away from you know making some tough decisions and maybe they shouldn't be so tough um you've you've just gained a player that I think the organization, we knew they had, but I don't think the organization knew they had in Perfetti, right? So we've gained that player hmm. um, to the roster for free. Um, so what do you do? What's <laughs> what's I, the decision if, if you if you lose eight out of 10 here? At the very, least, the very least, the very least you're selling Cop and Stastny. Yes. Mm-hmm. My take is a soft rebuild for the team. I think I asked a couple of my friends about this and we were chatting about it and I, that I've never used the term soft rebuild before. I don't know if it's a real term or not, but I'm keying it right now because I think it's not an Ottawa rebuild where you're going to, you know, sell all the guys you have and then center around a couple guys who are on good deals, blah, 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 whatever. No, I think you want to do what you can in the window before Shifley, Hellebuck, Ehlers, whatever contracts are up. Right. But I don't think it's necessarily this year. I could argue next year if you were to sell, um, yeah, Stastny and Kopp for sure because of the deals that they're on, but also some of the defenders. Like, I wouldn't go as far as saying a full rebuild, but if that were the case, I would sell DeMello. I would sell Josh Morrissey. I would sell Mark Shifley, all these different things, but I'm not quite there yet. Um, I would go the route, though, of doing what I can to move Adam Lowry, as awful as that sounds, but that that's just too much money um, right now with a team that's so heavily cap-strapped that they can't – they have no flexibility when – they don't have one guy on LTIR like that's absurd. And so I think if you're not going for it this year, you move some of those guys that aren't going to be key pieces to you making a cup run next year or whatever it is. Yeah. I'll go as far as to say you got to move Lowry regardless, even if you're trying to win next year, because he's not helping you being the third line center right now. He's a fourth line. He's a fourth line player and you have David Gustafson who can, just as easily fill that role and you have other guys who can play center that just aren't like just for the record brian we have this conversation every recording yeah (laughs) they're not trading adam lowry so it's not even worth the discussion it would never ever happen it would be less likely than even trading like i would say like the three untouchables four untouchables are Three untouchables to me are Shifley, Lowry, and Morrissey. Those are the guys that aren't going mm-hmm. anywhere with this team. They, no, it's they're not. wild to me no. that... You're right. It's wild to me that a bottom sixer could be labeled as untouchable. It's wild to me. It is He's weird. in the room. <laughs> but this is... Okay, so we have this conversation, that specific conversation you and I, Brian, every time about the, the, what, they, what they should do and what they will do. And yeah. then we have this other conversation about what's important to the franchise and what's important to the franchise is Adam Lowry. And I don't mean like specifically him as in him, but specifically something like that. A guy that's going to play his whole career here. um, That's an average player that people like, blah, 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 blah. It's not a way to win a Stanley cup. No, that's Um, exactly it. It's a way to make a likable roster, but people aren't going to like your roster if they can't win cups. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, I don't know. Jackson, smart business. (laughs) 
It's not smart business. It used to be when you thought you needed to sell seats. Um, Classic. Like back in 1987. Um, that's not the case anymore. The only way to sell seats at this point is to, to be a good team. If hypothetically you were to say, sunk cost fallacy, this team for the first time in their entire life actually made a move in the offseason that gave direction. They said they wanted to go for it. Um, we're not we're not turning back now. What what would you do to make this team ready for the playoffs? Trade for Jacob Chikrin. So true, Bessie. So true, Matt. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Adam Lowry, one for one. Question mark. <laughs> Arizona. Why would they, why would they say no to that? <laughs> I'm kidding. They can I, have our I captain think, too. I, I they think took our last one. No, they didn't actually. They have them now they can be reunited. Our captain's not waving his no move this year, but he doesn't have one in the summer. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Oh, wait, they're not going to do that. See, now that's a different situation. If they could trade him, they would. They won't be able to. There's the other problem with that. Now they, they, when they sign that contract, right? They, you think, you think no one will take it? I get, obviously, you could maybe, don't get me wrong but it would have to be like a perfect storm to get a team yeah. what you need and the reasoning to get rid of him. Right. Um, yeah. But I think it, there's definitely more chance of him getting traded than the three players list list mentioned for sure. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I still don't uh, see it happening, but it, it, <laughs> there's just a, a little bit better chance. I do want to jump though on, I'm, you know what? It feels time. It's time for my rent. Okay. Um, you guys so- go. No, I'm- I was just gonna say. So, pocket <laughs> offseason, talking moving guys, whatever. I think this last, this you know, COVID gave um, Dylan Sandberg the chance to get to play with the Jets. Gave uh, Declan Chisholm the chance to play with the Jets, and Billy Handler was in COVID protocol, and all these different things. And suddenly, now that you know, surprise, surprise, the guys who are really good in the AHL are actually really good in the NHL too. Whoa. Um, we have a bit of a log jam on left defense, and I have a feeling we're going to see some moves in the offseason or coming up to the trade deadline if the Jets become sellers uh, to clear that up a little bit, whether it be the young guys, whether it be the current guys, because if I'm we got Josh Morrissey, Brendan Dillon, mm-hmm. Nate Schmidt likes to play the opposite, so he doesn't count. Logan Stanley, Declan Chisholm, Nathan Bolio, Billy Hanala. Did I get them all? I don't know. They're, uh, did they're you get lot. Stanley? I think I said them. I don't know. Stanley, I, I, Sandberg, they all sound the same. We have too many Dillons. <laughs> Three guys with Dylan in their name out of six defensemen playing? No, thank you. Um, but if I'm the Winnipeg Jets, I'm trading Logan Stanley at the deadline because some team thinks that that's going to be the guy that's going to put them between a cup and a conference final exit, right? And I think you jump on that chance. Ben Chirot's going to go for at least a first. I would trade Logan Stanley for half that. Heck, like... Um, and I don't know what else I would do. I would want to trade Brendan Dillon too, just because I think there's so much potential with these younger guys that we have here, but this team doesn't really seem to care all the time about potential and players and letting them actually live up to that potential and giving them the opportunity to do so. So I don't know what they're going to do. That isn't actually my rant yet. I'll get to it, but I'd like to give someone else the chance to speak on that first. I, I, I think, sorry, what, what they should, no, 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 you're good. I, I, no. I think what they, what they should do is maybe in the offs and if they don't play offs, you've moved on from maybe cop, maybe Stastny, however it plays out. You got to look at playing these young guys for next year. Cause obviously it's not working. I think out of 
out of the two guys that they brought in with Schmidt and Dylan, they really tried to make a splash. I think like if you're looking at it, Dylan is probably the odd man out. And I don't know how long they keep or they'll, they'll want to keep going on the Stanley experiment. But um, I think you have to move. <laughs> I, I know they will. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think they will, though, because they won't want to admit that they made a mistake is what I think is going to happen. And I don't know if these guys will end up getting moved like a Dylan, but uh, I think it's more likely that the Jets try to move a prospect for a player to help them now just because they're so stubborn. It's possible if <laughs> if you're if you're moving a prospect, which one are you moving? Hanela, Chisholm, or Samberg, or or Stanley? I guess Mo- moving one prospect doesn't do enough. It's yeah, no, it does It's a pro- to- it's a prospect plus. You're talking mm-hmm. prospect and a pick or two. I'm I'm just I'm just worried they go more that road. Like I'm I'm not saying they will or they should, but um, that's kind of what I think they could do, which scares me. A lot move Billy. We've seen absolutely. I hope not. Okay, <laughs> right? But God no. But I'm uh, okay with it, honestly. If you get the right player, yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. Billy Hanela has more trade value than either Declan Chisholm or Dylan Sandberg by a long shot. And I don't know about his trade value relative to Stanley, but I I wouldn't be a like. I love Billy Hanel. I'm the king of the Billy Hanel fan club, but if you're going to get the right return, if you're going to go in that direction that you want to really make a push, which I don't necessarily agree with, Hanel is not necessarily, not necessarily the wrong guy to trade. hundred percent. Yeah. And like, I think mm-hmm. that's something that people always talk about, you know, armchair GMs or whatever, Oh, you're so biased towards your players. There is not a single player on this team that I would not trade for the right return. And you're goofy if you think that there isn't a single guy on this team that you couldn't get a better guy from or a better guy, depending on what kind of package you're getting and the rest of the NHL. Like, it's just our team's not that good. Our players aren't that good. Like, yeah, like, I'm totally open to Billy, trading Billy Handel if it was him plus um, some other assets that I believe were valuable for Jacob Chikrin, for example, or something along those lines. Like, I'm totally... Like it, 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 if it makes sense, it makes sense. But I don't want to see it become another Sam and Niku situation where he couldn't have trade value when he was, you know, good and valuable. Then they let him rot away into nothing. And then all of a sudden he's on unconditional waivers and you have a really good player on your hands that you liquidated into absolutely nothing. I don't think that's going to happen with Hanel. I think they're vastly different prospects. Like I really think the only major similarity is their nationality they play very different games but i sort of agree with what you're saying i don't think hanala will fizzle out into nothing though i think he's just too good for that no and i would agree i think that's fair i just i think it's more the principle of the thing with the idea of having x good asset and not maximizing it neither letting it you know be an asset for your team or getting rid of it for other assets and letting it be an asset to someone else kind of thing Hundred percent. They could have um, traded Niku in the December, the year after he won the AHL Defenseman of the Year, and got something for him. And he never played another fucking game for us. Like, what are you doing? You just, like you said, list. You just, just absolutely threw away something that could have been something for nothing. If you, if you were going to give him a chance and he failed, that's a completely different thing. But you had value. You didn't trade him. 
Same thing with last year. We've talked about it. They could have traded Stanley last year after those playoffs and really lit it up with, with him, I believe. But they protected um, him instead. Right. Like that you're ne- and now seeing the regression he's had, I maybe he's as good as he was last year, whatever, but how it's visible that he's just not capable. Um yeah. you, you had a chance, right? And you're just like like you're saying, Jackson, you're just gonna keep riding it and riding it. Um, I have another question though, is have the Jets ever sold? Uh, I wish Andrew Ladd. Andrew Ladd is the only one I can come up with. Yeah, and that I was mean, a necessity. That wasn't like, okay, let's that was like we you know, eleventh hour, we just we have to get rid of him. It wasn't part of a plan or part of anything. It was just his contract was up and that's what we're doing. But they've never done that. They've never even tried to re like re uh, stock or whatever. There was some soft selling right at the start of the Jets. Johnny Oduya and Ron Hainsey come to mind. I think they got mm-hmm. a second and a third for Oduya, and I can't remember what the return was for Hainsey. Right, but you or could Johnny conceive. O, never forget. <laughs> you got a pizza from him. Um, but what you could do is <laughs> is trade, you know, five guys in the next six months, and kind of even if you're not completely upgrading. You're changing some things, getting some new blood, um, maybe change the direction. Like you said, we, now we seem to have a plethora of defensemen. So you can get into those middle six forwards in some return. Um, and the D market for this trade deadline is awful. It is the, mm-hmm. the guys on expiring deals this year are terrible. Ben Sherratt, like I already said, oh, is the best Chirot defenseman available. Heck. Pardon you mean me? we, you think we should get him back for our first? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him Logan and Stanley and Ben Sherrod are the same person. Changed my mind. Yeah, yeah I just By think the way like, they ice the puck, you know, you could have me fooled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to not to beat the same point, but this is a chance to actually get a refresh. If you trade Stastny, Cop, um, Dylan, and then maybe find a, a prospect in there, one of the other defensemen. That changes things for next year, right? Totally, yeah. And I think um, there's just a lot of potential for that kind of – like you said, like I would love – I wanted to see them make a little bit of a splash for someone like Sam Reinhart last offseason, something like that. Like just bringing in the odd guy to really plug in those roles. Like f- find your roles. Like if you have your 1-2-C already and you have your left and whatever wings with um, – depending where you want to play Ehlers, if he wants to stay on the left, whatever, go find yourself a right winger to play in your top six, like different things like that. Sorry. It feels like we've had the same players for like seven years. You know what I mean? Core more or less. And and, yeah. Switch lining with Dubois. Yeah. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's not working and I said this the other day to, to my dad, I said, Hellebuck's doing to us what Kiprasov did to the to the Flames in in the 2000s, right? Oh, yeah. You just drag your your mediocre team into the playoffs every year, and then the management gets fooled that you're better than you are, and you constantly remember we we're talking in the in the DM the other day about how all our players are just meh. When it's you've a got a lot of meh, yeah, right. And so if you've got Connor Hellebuck constantly dragging into the playoffs. You're going to look at these guys. Oh, they're pretty good. A change here, change there, change here, change there. It's like, no, you need 
upgrades and and even if it's not an upgrade even a one for one sometimes you need to do it even just a hockey trade just to get some different blood and 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 different style and all that kind of stuff and they just don't do it they just sit on their hands and and hope and I next year they're all going to be better i don't know what's frustrating too is like you said with a lot of meth and i think a lot of the guys too i we all everyone evaluates players differently right so i can't speak to everyone but i know that for example like mark shifley is regarded differently by a lot of different people and he's a like people think he's better than he is depending on who like some people have the idea of who Mark Shifley once was and who he has the potential to be in the ceiling, blah, blah, blah. And it's not really reflective of his results, in my opinion. I think he could be a lot better than he is. And absolute best Mark Shifley is still met. He's not a top 10 center in the NHL, probably when he's at his very best, I would say top 20. Um, he doesn't need but, to be a top 10. No, no, but I'm saying, but right mm-hmm. now he's not even playing close to that possible level. And like Nikolai Ehlers, you know, people were finally starting to jump on board and he was just, and then this year he's been like, not as good. And it's like, we have so many guys that are just like, and like, maybe they have potential to be really good, but if they're not doing that, then it's really difficult to really think this team has enough substance to do anything with its core. I think I said something to somebody this week too. Doesn't it say something to how good Blake Wheeler was three years ago that he made Mark Shifley appear to be a top seven center in the NHL? Like Blake Wheeler was really that good <laughs> a couple I of years Mark ago. I think Mark Shifley was that good too, though. He was I'll be good. Honest. He was good, but you don't fall off this bad. I, I think I'll, I'm just he just more doing the anymore. math. It's just more doing the math. Like there had to be a reason why Shifley was so much better than, and it's probably because he was playing with the third or fourth best winger in the in the league at that time or whatever. You know what I mean? It just seems all too convenient now december 2018 i swear to god we haven't seen more than five consecutive games of good mark shifley since december 2018 i'll die on that i keep waiting for it because i keep using that date i'm like it's been but now it's been three years i'm like bro where are you (laughs) my i'll be honest i I don't think that player's coming back no 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 he's he's in what 28 29 now something like that 29 yeah 29 in March, I think. 29 turning 30 this year. Good no. Lord. He's turning 30 so, yeah. Is he not? I'm not saying no. you're wrong. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just. No. That's wild, dude. That's wild. Okay, just sorry, Jackson. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Like, no, obviously not like a direct comparison or anything like that, but it reminded me, Chifley right now is reminding me a lot of how I remember it. Evander Kane. He's he's 28, turning like 29. up for five games. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought I thought he was 29. Anyway, but old. Uh, um, still old. But um, I don't know. I I just remember when Evander Kane was here. Like he'd show up and he'd score for four games in a row. Maybe have six goals in four games, and then you wouldn't hear from him for like the next ten. Right? He'd be super quiet, and that's kind of where I see Shifley at right now. He's just super inconsistent. like along with the entire team so i don't know if it's a product necessarily of shifley i don't think shifley is as good as people give him credit to be but he just seems i don't know if he's hurt this year but he just doesn't seem as fast like as like dialed in really i don't i don't know what to think about him right now 
If I'm Mark Shifley, I should feel like I have a fire under my ass right now, right? Like you have Pierre oh, absolutely could be who could easily become the franchise player and he's in your position and he's a lot younger than you. Like I would be stressed if I was him, but he just and I thought we'd see a little bit of that fire, but I just I'm not I'm not getting it from him. I honestly thought so too with the coaching change that we would see that as well. Um but we haven't. Now he's 28 and these getting dangerously close to that point on the aging curve where players really tend to fall off. So when they still have six years left on their deal of $8 million. <laughs> yeah. He's only no, got wait. two after two after this one, right? Yeah. But then they're going to sign him to an mm-hmm. even bigger deal after this one. And then he's going to fall was, off and it's going to be was, more right was, down. That was where I was going to say, maybe like you guys have said it, they're not going to trade him already, but I think, I think they should very much, look at a Shifley trade if they think they're not contending the next couple of years Mm -hmm. what are the assets you're going to get from that trade what's Shifley going to be by the time you're ready to contend and a lot of teams would pay a lot for which one's going to be worth more on a cost per dollar basis I I think the Jets will probably unless Shifley wants out I think the Jets will probably try and keep them but yeah I'm not I'm not certain that that's what I would do yeah, so I because they're ahead, gonna Liz. they're gonna keep him. They're gonna make him captain, and then he's gonna be the next Blake Wheeler with the same deal with the same. It's it's written. It's 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 already there. We know. <laughs> yeah, he's not I'm, a third of the player Blake Wheeler was at the same age. I I a hundred percent would trade him next season while he still has a, a year left, so that pe- the team has a, a year to negotiate with him. Um. I I refuse to believe that if Kevin Shoveldayoff is still the general manager, that they they don't extend him the summer after next. I just there's no way that's just not in their DNA. It's not in the franchise DNA, and um, it's scary. And a conspiracy theorist would suggest, and I'm not one of these people that believes in this sort of stuff uh, necessarily. Tell me more. It is the the reason why Pierre Luc Dubois is still the second line center is because they have to sign him to a contract and they want to keep his numbers down and all that kind of stuff. Um, Because I don't believe that (laughs) stuff either, but people say that stuff, right? No, for sure. Yeah. Especially about a cheap team. Um, I can't believe for one second when Dave Lowry became coach that that wasn't the first line immediately and they weren't getting 23 minutes a game. They're easily the better line, and that's your number one center. Kyle Connor's your number one winger. It's crazy to me. Like, so what are we, again? What are we doing? How is how is Mark Shifley still getting rolled out every night when he doesn't back check? He gets outscored. They spend the whole game in their own zone, and he's still your number one center because, you know, a couple of media members out east say he's a good player. But I don't ever think- watch him we had too much expectation for change with Dave Lauer. I, we didn't, it was just more an optimistic thing. Like, but it's, he is, he's been with the team. He, everyone who knows Paul Maurice loves Paul Maurice. And we're not surprised that there was limited change in the philosophy and the coaching style and all that kind of stuff. He's also the father of Adam Lowry, who has been a glue guy for this team for how long loves Winnipeg loves the team. Like it just, it makes sense that he would do the exact same things favor the exact same players, run the exact same kinds of systems that have been the detriment to this team for years. Like 
it just, to me, the real coaching change is going to come in the summer when they hire someone else, when they hire someone else, not if, when I'm manifesting it, I got Perlin Dubois traded to Winnipeg. I'm getting us a good coach this summer, guys. Don't worry about it. We're working. If on they, it. uh, if they lose enough, there's no way that, uh, I think they'll remove the interim tag from Dave Lowry, but yeah, if they I... miss the playoffs, this is a, uh, like a good catastrophe. They the, only, the only reason Dominic Ducharme is still the coach of the Montreal Canadiens is because they made it to the cup final last year. Like he should they, they I, I say this, I said this a few months ago that every off season and before the season, the media should be making it clear to ask the question over and over. What is the expectation this year? So that when they don't live up to it or they do live up to it, there's consequence and they don't do that. This is one of the first years where there was actually an expectation. We got Nate Schmidt. We got Dylan. Um, we think we're competitive. Uh, as we know, we think we're, we're better than we really are <laughs> is really what, what that means. But that's not what they said. They were expecting to be competitive. That doesn't mean compete for a Stanley Cup. But this isn't what they were expecting with, with a cap, if- completely max cap, to be probably going to miss the playoffs. There's no way he comes back. This is a catastrophe and they all have to be gone. No. Okay. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to extend uh, more to like Huddy and um, uh, the, the entire staff. I, I don't think if you, if you miss the playoffs with this team, like with the expectation expectations that were put in place, I, I don't think there's any way that you can keep Lowry or keep any of the staff that, you, that you've had for the last like five, 10 years with Huddy being like, since the Jets came back, I, I just don't see how you can like with a good conscience do that and still expect to have like a good team. It just doesn't I'm make sense really to me. I'm really excited about the idea of a max utilization coach. And I feel like we're seeing that a little bit with the amount of a moose right now. And I wonder if we want to kind of pivot the conversation a little bit towards that angle where I don't know much about this man. I can't, Mark Morrison, is that his name? It's something along yes. those lines. Yeah. yeah okay. Return of the Mac. we're we're seeing a very interesting team that he's dealing with right now that's had a lot of transition with guys jumping up to the taxi squad guys being called up losing your star player and Cole Perfetti and all these different things and I just feel like this is a guy that knows his players and knows what he's going to get out of them and is able to elevate their utilization in the best way possible and that's always been my big thing with coaches and teams and players is really you just if you have an asset and this is they're good at X, Y, Z things, see what you can do to make them, to put them in the right positions to do X, Y, Z things. And that's why, you know, we can talk about the Billy Hainwell thing where you want to throw in a guy who's good at X, Y, Z things and make him play in a situation where he's going to have to do ABC things with the guy who is uh, the worst player in the NHL, like things like that. Right. Like, it's just, I don't, I, I, that's what I look for in a coach. And I don't know if that's what we're getting out of Dave Lowry. And I think that there are coaches out there who will be a better fit for a team like the Jets that have a lot of guys with very individual, unique skill sets. I've liked what Mark Morrison's done with the Moose this year. My only, um, the only things I haven't liked are he's paired Morrissey with, or Morrissey, uh, he's paired Hanala with Olany uh, for a lot of the year. Um, and he's had Austin Pagansky over Mikey Asamont on the top power play. That one's just whatever, but um, yeah, I, otherwise I think he's done a really good job with that team guys like 
aside from Hanala, uh, Declan Chisholm's really come into his own this year. And you saw it in the one game he played with the Jets. Um, Dylan Sandberg maybe didn't get off to the greatest start, but really picked up his game uh, later on. And now he's with the Jets and he was playing pretty well uh, before the injury. Um, Leon Gavanka. Leon Gavanka has had a very good season. He had a good year a couple of years ago. And then last year, I didn't think he was very good at all. But uh, this year, a bit of a bounce back. And I think a lot of that comes from playing a lot of his minutes with Hanela and Chisholm. They're just good fits out there. Um, guys, they can create space for an offensive guy like Gavanka. So it would stand to reason that if True North is going to continue to be True North, then that's where you're you're making your moves. I think we knew for a long time that I think the process was for Pascal Vincent to take over for Paul Maurice, and it just didn't kind of happen um, organically, probably the way they thought it would. The Jets were a little better than they thought maybe for an extra year, so they couldn't fire Maurice when, you know – when they probably should have. And then Vincent got the chance, blah, 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 blah. So that seems more likely to me, right? That we go, okay, we're going to keep Jamie comp on. Um, we're going to move you out, Charlie Huddy. We're going to move you back to assistant coach, Dave Lowry and bring up the moose coach and, and go from there. That's when we're talking about true North and talking about the jets, those are the way to me, you have to look at it, right? That's how they do things. And um, that's how they've done things since 1996 with, <laughs> with who they move in and out with the moose. And, and, you know, you know, they had a plan when Elaine Vigneault was here that he was going to move up to the Canucks and all those things like um, they're really calculated that way. And that goes back to the loyalty thing, which, you know, um, but that, those, those seems like the logical move to me. And to hear that you guys are high on the moose coach, that's a positive, uh, a positive thing, right? Because that means, okay, well, maybe there's some upward mobility in somebody that's <laughs> got, uh, got a mind of their own. That's, that's good to hear. Yeah, for sure. Well, and this goes back to it relates to the Hanala goal or the Hanala goal, the, the first goal, I think it was no, the second goal against that Hanala was on for um, people were all over him for abandoning, abandoning his side of the ice, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's a thing that the moose do actually, they're going to stack the blue line and try and force dump ins. That's part of the reason why they have such good possession stats. And that's, that's not a system the Jets run, so I understand people uh, blaming him for that. But it's not like he was, quote-unquote, lost. There was a plan to what he was doing, and that's something that the Moose often will do is stack the blue line so that the other team has to dump it in, and then they have an extra forward back in support, and the other defenseman has dropped back as well. Um so yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. That's different from what the jets are doing. Um, which, which, which to is me is ridiculous. Good... It's good. You're right. It's good, but it's ridiculous that both teams aren't running the same systems top to bottom. That's fair. I, I do like a lot of what the, what the moose are doing. It's, 
it's aggressive, but it's aggressive in a different way that allows you to control the puck as much as possible. And yes, yeah, sometimes you give up a really good chance because of it, but you have the puck a lot more than the other team. And I really, I like the way Mark Morrison is coaching from that standpoint. Yeah, oh, I'm not I, saying I it's wrong. <laughs> I'm just saying that ideally, right? You know what I'm saying? No, it's you want to be able situations. to plug and play. So you mm-hmm. don't have that situation when you, you bring a guy up. Players, um, when they get moved up um, between when you're bouncing back and forth between them, when you have to transition systems, it's like when a guy gets traded probably through the year, it's a difficult transition if the teams play very different styles of hockey. If a guy is doing that like three or four times a year, like it's, it's not easy all the time. And I think that's part of the reason um, that really handle is we've all been a little bit wary about how his immediate NHL results would look because he a is playing that style of play. And then you'd have a devil's advocate say, well, all the moose defenders are playing that same style of play, which yes, they are, but it's a very complimentary style of play to the kind of player that he is the aggressive individual, the offensive minded, like all these different things that a Philly handle is very good at. It's very complimentary of that system that they're playing. Right. So then when you throw him into a situation like last night where he's a little bit, flat-footed in the sense that he hasn't played in a couple of weeks. He's playing against a very, very, very strong, heavy forechecking Florida team. He's playing with a partner that's a little bit – we don't need to go down the Nathan Bullier route. We've been down this route several times before. All these different things. And also, like Paul Stastny said today so eloquently in his um, in his um, media thing that, you know, the team sucks at back-checking and they leave their defenders on an island – this is not a recipe for success for your little guy, man. Like I know, like it's, it's hard and some guys will do better than others. And I think, I don't know if Jackson, you want to touch on, on the handle a piece a little bit, because I knew we were going to go down this road a bit and it's not just him. It's just kind of the nature of, of the movement with the defenseman down there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, when, when I saw the lineup, like when Morrissey went into a protocol there, I, th- I thought, Oh, that's great. Handle will get the, to, to put for sure. But he goes in there, and then I see he's partnered with Nathan Beaulieu. As just, I don't know, like, like, like you said, he hasn't played in almost a month. He's flat-footed. He's, and then you put him with Nathan Beaulieu. It's just like you kind of set him up like a recipe to not succeed. And I just feel that, like, if you were to put on it, or uh, um, what's his name, like Dylan Sandberg the other night, I think you would see him have a little bit more success. You can like do a little bit more with the space the Villy creates, but without that, with Nathan Beaulieu, who's not obviously our best defenseman, I don't think that you can get a lot out of that. And I don't, not, not necessarily blaming Beaulieu for a lot of it last night, but it definitely didn't, didn't help the situation. Yeah. yeah. And then just to jump on that again, like I was like, I, I don't think I've ever actually like cried over the one page and I cry over everything, right? Like I just, I, I still have that filter that this is sports. This is hockey. I do not actually need to care what was going on here, but I was actually quite upset yesterday when the third period comes out and this guy doesn't play for like 15 consecutive minutes of playing of, of, you know, clock time, whatever, from the end of the second to the beginning of the third, like that's just such a poor way to treat this poor kid, right? Like you're like all these reasons that we said leading up to this, and then you're, you know, has a bit of a rough go and, you know, you can isolate each individual play and say, theoretically, it wasn't his fault for X, Y, Z reasons. Look at this. He actually wasn't doing the wrong thing or he was whatever, but still it just, what does that do to a kid's confidence? What does that do to the team? Like, it's just a terrible way to do things. And I was quite upset with how they did that yesterday. And I just think that benching young players 
for mistakes or for just like whatever the reason was taking him off the first power play unit immediately after one shift on it. Like I just, I didn't get it. I don't like that. It's not just because it's my favorite player. I don't like it with anyone. I don't like it when you bring Cole Perfetti into the lineup and you don't give him power play time and you give him crappy line mates and you're like, Oh, he's not producing the way he should. What? Like, okay. Like I just, it makes me upset. I don't love it. That is all from me. (laughs) Totally. You look at what Perfetti did the first couple of games and he actually, I thought he had a really good first game of the season um, in the opener against Anaheim second game. He wasn't as good against San Jose, but everyone's like, Oh, look at him. He's a bum. One game, send him back to the minors. He, He can't hang in the NHL. He's not playing with a player or not playing with players that suit his style playing with playing Adam Lowry with Cole Perfetti was never going to work. And now you look at him with Connor and Dubois. It's a similar thing with Hanela. It's not completely apples to apples here, but Nathan Bolyu is not the guy you want covering up for Billy Hanela. Hanela is going to be aggressive in trying to make plays if things go wrong, which admittedly they did a lot in that game against Florida, Nathan Bolyu is not going to cover for you. And you saw that on, especially on the second goal where um, Adam Lowry already had the down low man, but Nathan Bolyu uh, was still worried about him, but not worried about the guy walking right into the slot. So yeah, part of that goal was on Hanela for not understanding the system, but part of it was on Bolyu for literally just not covering anybody. So maybe um, you have two options with Hanela: put him with a very good defensive defenseman that can cover him up. That can cover up. Uh, Dylan Demello comes to mind. Obviously, you can't do that right now. So maybe put a put him with a stylistic fit like Schmidt, who already did so well with Declan Chisholm in that one game and kind of roll with that. That's kind of my take there. He had some good shifts with, uh, with uh, Schmidt in the third period and everything looked good. And, um, <laughs> and people forget very quickly how Toby Enstrom and Dustin Bufflin played together and Dustin Bufflin used to be, Obviously, that's not what Vili Hainala is, but you get the idea. Somebody that might possess the puck, be out of position, and you've got your best defensive defenseman with him to cover up those mistakes. And something that I've spent a lot of years trying to explain to kind of casual hockey fans is line mates matter. And hockey coaches simply could never play Blake Wheeler with Adam Lowry and... um, you know, Brandon Tanev or some something that could never happen, right? Because he's got to play with good players, but it's okay to play Cole Perfetti with Adam Lowry. It's okay to play Billy Hanela with, um, with what's his nuts last night, Boyu. That's ridiculous. Whoever would even think that you could sit at a table, have 30 people look at your roster. Not one person other than Dave Lowry or Paul Maurice would put Billy Hanela and and Nathan Boyu together as a pairing. Agree. I don't I... care what your what your depth chart is, right? I don't care that you're top. You you put him where he belongs, not just on the third pair because he's your third best defenseman on that side. Put him where yeah. he fits. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody would do that. It's like I think 
a lot of it is because coaches, they, they get this idea that putting them lower in the lineup will end up with having them facing lesser competition, which is typically true, but on a smaller scale than the quality of teammate difference. Because if you're playing on a third pair or a fourth line, you're always playing with a third pairing guy or a fourth liner. If you're, if you're playing on the first pair or the first line, you're always playing with first liners or a first pairing guy. You're not necessarily always playing against that same level. That's going to fluctuate a lot more. So while you're playing more against weaker competition, lower in the lineup, you're also playing with weaker teammates, which is, I would say, I was going to say arguably more important, but I think it's inarguably more important, Look especially at- with the style of play as well. And especially with the jets and the difference between, you know, the top and the bottom of their lineup. Again, not to bring it back to the past, but look at how good Ben Schrott was when he played with Dustin Bufflin. How There's, good he was or how good he looked. That's what I mean, right? Yeah. You have a guy, Dustin Bufflin was taking care of him. That because he, you, he, that's what you need. You need a better pair if you're a defenseman, not just let's just throw our two quote unquote worst defensemen on the bottom pairing together. Doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Uh, I just you're bang on with that, Brian, because it's, it's a foolish decision. It played out exactly as it should have. Um, the numbskulls see it as Hainalash sucked when really what happened was he got put in a situation with no, no chance of success. Look, I won't lie. He didn't play well last night, but again, he's just getting his feet wet. His first game in like three weeks against one of the best teams in the league. And with one of the worst D partners you could literally put him with. It's not a recipe for success, but hopefully like he wasn't very comfortable, but hopefully the end of that game will help him get more comfortable by the next game. Like I'm hoping it's kind of a, a preseason situation for him where um, in the first half of the first preseason game, he also looked quite uncomfortable, but he was, quite good by the end and then the rest of training camp he was pretty damn good so i'm hoping that's kind of the case there um it looks like they're gonna play him with kovacevic um in the next game so something else people forget something else people forget players have bad games it just so happens that it's your first game or whatever right like it doesn't mean like you're a fucking bust he had a bad night and, and, and the people that are just looking to pounce, like how come every guy we've ever traded for ha- has such a great game their first game? It's like because you're looking at it and he had an all right game and you're focused on it. Like chill out. Why do you want your number one draft pick to fail? Why aren't that you like me. none of it makes sense. Like just chill out. You're not, you know, I when TSN radio was around, they'd spend the whole the whole morning show talking about random third liners and fourth liners having, having crappy games and trying to pin games on. And it's like, why don't you look at the good players and what they're doing wrong? And it's the same sort of thing. It's like, why are you just nitpicking this one guy having half a bad game? 
the next, the next, all the defensemen played like crap last night. Yeah. So and I think why are you po- just pointing the finger at him? And that's why I really like expected goals as a stat, right? Because it's like, if you look at each individual isolated play of all these things, it's like if the ones that lead to goals, like goals are just as much of a lucky bounce, bad rebound, all these different things as they are every other event leading up to it. Right. So it's like, yeah, when they, they're like, Oh, X guy gave one really bad giveaway that led to one goal and the Jets lost one nothing. So you pin the game on him. It's like, that's why I, I've never really liked that because it's like nine times out of 10, that bad giveaway won't result in a goal. And all of a sudden you won't pin the game on that guy anymore because that was his only bad play of the game. Like, I'm not saying that like, that's exactly like Brian already used the phrase apples to apples situation with Hanola, but it's just so hard. I hate pinning games on players anyway. And then, and writing off players based on early games and stuff like that. And I also agree with the whole idea of, you know, wanting your own prospects to fail. Like I will cry of happiness if Logan Stanley turns out to be an actual NHL caliber hockey player. I don't want to be right about him. Like I would rather my team be good than be right. Like, or that I be right kind of thing. Like it's just, we're not preying on the downfall of these people. It's just that the reality is when there are better options around, you want those better options to play and you should even if there's a better guy that jumps in, like Dylan Sandberg, and Dylan Sandberg jumps ahead of Billy Hanel on the depth chart on left defense because he's that good. Be my guest. Be my guest. I don't care. I want good players in my team. So, yeah, totally. Um, pinning, sorry, pinning, pinning one one mistake is such amateur hour. You'll see if you ever watch any uh, NFL hard knocks or anything like that a guy will recover a fumble in, in a preseason game. And like, that's a guy you want on your team. It's like, <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything. Like he just fell on the football. What has he done through training camp? What, you know, and, and, and further to that is what's been happening the last couple of days with Connor Hellebuck. Mm-hmm. Oh, he fucking so give away the puck. I believe this, that take. And it's like, it's... there's nothing more amateur than just blaming shit on the goalie. That's what happened when I used to play goal and I was 12 and I used to walk out the rink and I'd hear parents complaining about me, right? And it's like, it's so amateur. Did you watch the game? It takes five mistakes for things to happen and stay in your net and all this crap. Like, come on. He's the best goaltender in the world. And, (laughs) and, And you spent six years defending Andre Pavlik (laughs) <laughs> about he's pretty good and his 907 save percentage now we have literally the best goalie in the nhl and you're going to take a dump on him this team would have had three top three draft picks the last three years if it wasn't for connor hellebuck it's lazy 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 to just my co-worker said that to me this morning i walked in he said boy that hellebuck's pretty good hey <laughs> yeah, yeah bad bad bounce okay oh, buddy. what like and the other Come thing on. about there, there's two things I want to say is one, yeah, it's it's all about the body of work. You can't just look at singular moments for players. Connor Hellebuck, uh, Vili Hainala included. It's it's about the whole body of work. What are they doing outside of that one goal against that was given up? It's like calling someone a good penalty only... killer because they scored shorthanded once. <laughs> Yeah. what anyway um yeah the other thing is goaltending in particular it's just extremely high variance all the time 
you're going to have goalies that look like they have bad games a lot. Connor Hellebuck doesn't have those nearly as often as most other goalies. That's just the way goaltending works. Like good yeah, goalies. Yeah, he gave up five. He gave up five goals in a game, the last game. Good goalie. It happens a few times Shit. a year. That's like right. More than a few times, way more than a few times a year for the average goalie. It's going to go like this. You give up five here. You give up one here. You give up three here. You give up two here, three here, zero there, four there, two there, six there. Well, it's just the way uh, more, it works. more likely is what, what a Hellebuck or a Habby Bulin used to or a Vasilevsky does is uh, give up five or six, shit the bed then play six games in a row where you give up under two. Then you let in four. Then you have another couple where you let in one or two. Goalies like Pavlik, average goalies, let in three, three, five, one, three, 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 yeah. like that. You know what I mean? The good ones, they're all going to have bad games, but they're fewer and far between. And I'd rather a guy have a shit once every six games than let in three every single night, like 90% well, well, of the goalies how, in the how, league do. How many games has there been already this year, though, where, I don't know, we've had like 40 to 45 shots against and the game ends with the Jets losing like 2-1 or 3-1 or something like that. And I think that's what a lot of people look at and they're like, oh, like when they flash the win-loss, like win-loss tie uh, stat at the beginning there, you're like, oh, well, Hellebuck is 17 and or whatever it is, 14 and 12, whatever it is um, in however many games he's played. But it's like, you could you could slash probably half of that off if um, we could score a goal. Like I mean Arizona, I I don't know how we lost that game earlier in the year. Uh, we got embarrassed by Buffalo because we couldn't we could not put the puck in the net. I just don't I don't agree with how Connor Hellebuck gets treated because like again as you said earlier, uh, if we didn't have him last year, we definitely have a top five pick for sure. And, and the year before, like I <laughs> and the year before that. <laughs> It's not like I'm not going to shade my dad. My dad and I get along really well watching hockey and stuff like that. But if I'm watching a game and he comes in, he's like, oh, how's it going? The first thing he looks at is a shot. It's like, oh, we're out shooting them, whatever, things like that. And I don't like I don't I try not to argue with him every single time. But I'm like, there is a mess. Like if we're out shooting them five to one, like early on, I'm like four of those were Logan Stanley flubs to the net. And there was no <laughs> like there's a huge difference. And that's why like Connor Hellbuck, it's like, oh, like he'll he'll save like he faces quite high shot quantity, but the shot quality that this team lets go against that man, it's like his save percentage should be like 0.05% higher than it is based on that alone. I swear to God, like if that stat actually mattered because they're high danger chances consistently, consistently. And that's the thing that bothers me about the jets is that they're going to, you can't have it both ways where you, you put in flub shots and you have nobody in front of the net. Like they do both. It's like, okay, either stop shooting from so far out or bunch your guys in front of the net so you can at least bang away those rebounds or do something because they're useless. Their shooting is so bad from up high. And like, but no, we giving up shots though. No, no, we give up some of the greatest they shots. Obviously, so they obviously don't track or either they don't track it right or they don't care. They have no particular investment in high danger scoring chances because on the one end, they don't try and produce them. And on the other end, they allow them. And that's been a trend for five or six years. So where's the, what's the disconnect? I don't like using the stat high danger chances just because there's like zero productivity that comes from it. But 
in terms like of expected goals. It's more of a goals. telling stat of what happened as opposed to a predictive stat for what's going to happen in other games. Even expected it, goals is better from a descriptive standpoint, just because you get a better idea of mm-hmm. just how dangerous the chance was. But I remember there was a year, I think it might have been the year that Pavlik and Hellebuck switched uh, or the year after. And they were like, they're like, oh, yeah, we're we're okay with giving up a lot of shots. We give them up from the outside and it's fine. It's fine. And it's like, then the next year or two, you start seeing the heat maps and you start seeing all the stuff. It's like, they're not from the outside, bro. They're from 16 feet out from the slot. Like, I'm not even sure what you're watching because... You're killing your goalie. I mean, again, I was I was a terrible goalie, but I liked more shots. I liked the work. It was more fun, and you you you're in the game a little bit more. But this is the NHL. You you can't you can't constantly give up forty shots a night. Not like they have been giving up forty shots a night for five years. But you know what I'm saying. You can't allow. I guess it's work. It kind of works. They he does his job, but. It, it's nuts uh, um, that they still and and that people don't see it. That people just think he's just another goalie. Like if we had, it's nuts. What if Comrie was our goalie? <laughs> what does that look like to people? Like, take yourself out of the situation for a second. What if Mike Smith is the goalie here? Oof. Like, run away, boy, for sure. Um, I think I'm going to wrap us up here because I know we're running a little bit long. Um, and I, I gotta say this might be one of the least structured episodes I have ever done in my entire (laughs) life. So usually I have a nice little way of wrapping up, whether I have to take you on a five minute thought journey to explain what I want you to say to wrap it up, or if I just, you know, give a really thought provoking question or something. But I think, um, kind of the point of this episode is really just to sit down and chat for a bit about just really what we've seen in the last couple of months specifically. And then also, as we often do, looking at long-term trends and things like that and looking at, you know, what we think is going on with this team, how we would fix them, what we think they're going to do, all those different things. So I think maybe the last, you know, kind of thing I'll, I'll leave people with is just kind of where your thoughts are of kind of the direction this team is heading in. Um, and what do you think we're going to see from them in the next couple of months? Um, maybe I'll throw it to Chris to start and then we'll throw it to Jackson and Brian and then finish her up. I, I had about, I want to say 18 hours of um, excitement when Paul Murray's quit, <laughs> quit. Um, and I got <laughs> DM from um friend of the show Tony and basically he was like don't get your hopes up and he's like this guy's a worse coach and um it didn't it took like seriously was it two games before we started like oh shit this is the same the same thing it's really disappointing uh, I know it doesn't come across that way and I, I the last few times I've been on I haven't kind of gone down this road I just want it to be fun and I want them to be successful because I want to enjoy it. And it's so frustrating that it's not. And unless something changes this off season, it's, it's not going to be, this is it's I I'm not trying to be a Debbie downer at all, but there's no, there's no change and it's going to be a struggle the rest of the way. Either change some things up or, and I mean that subtly, I don't mean blow it up and I'm not trying to be dramatic, but do the cop trade, 
Um, I do the Stastny trade, get Hainala and Samberg and Stanley. I don't care. Get them playing and, and have a rebirth. You know, we've developed those guys in the minors. This is a, supposed to be what we're all about. We develop all those defensemen in, with the moose. So let's go and uh, keep Morrissey and Schmidt or something like that. Those aren't the guys I would keep, but you know what I mean? Those are your guys. And, and let's fresh blood and, and finish off the season and entertain us. God, they're so not entertaining. And that's all I want. So I, and I don't see it happening. Sadly, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Yay. Another happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Jackson thoughts, anything smilier than that? I mean, Pretty much said what I was going to say. I think the team <laughs> should should be headed toward a, a retool, not necessarily like a full blow up. But I, I definitely think if they keep going one win, two losses here down the stretch, I think they, they've got to move on from Cop. They got to move on from Stastny and they got to let uh, a lot of these younger guys play because I think if, if like, like if we see what's happened with Cole Perfetti and how much he's already growing, just imagine what he'll be next season. And everything like that. And the young players, like, depending when we get Sandberg back, play Hanel a little bit more, get him more comfortable with uh, the NHL. I think they need to go in that direction, kind of like how the Ducks did last year with Zegers and Drysdale. Yes. But, um, mm-hmm. And um, just just get ready for next season. Make a couple moves. Maybe make um, a couple, like, player trades. Like, get a head start on the offseason at the deadline, maybe. But, um that's where I would like them to go, but who knows what they'll do. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see kind of somewhat of a direction like that. Um, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but I'm tweeting less about the results of the jets and more just about the prospects and younger players. That's really my focus right now because I don't think this team has a hope in hell of doing anything uh, of being a contender eventually. Like that's, that's what I want is them to be a contender. That's why I'm focusing like mostly on the youth because that's, what's going to get us there eventually is growing that youth into our eventual core it's, it's not going to be the current core. I, I hate to break it to you guys. That's going to get us to a Stanley Cup. So, yeah, I tweet a lot about Vili Hainala, about Cole Perfetti. I'm extremely critical of how they've used Vili Hainala this year specifically. Um, Cole Perfetti, at least at the start, it was like, well... Should I have ever really thought they were going to give him a chance? I mean, he gave, he had an awesome training camp and I thought showed that he clearly belonged and clearly needed to make this team got sent back down. And then, Oh, magically, magically he's ready. Uh, after apparently not being ready. Four Um, games, Kyle Connor. Yeah, <laughs> something similar, I think, needs to happen with Billy Hainala, whether he's going to have a big impact or not immediately. I don't know if people realize, but it's rare for a guy to come into the NHL 
and have a big impact immediately. It just, it just really doesn't happen all that often. Cole Perfetti is mostly the exception to the rule. He's not the rule, you know? So like if Hanelis struggles, like if he were to play now and struggle till the rest of the year, I'm good with that. Give him the minutes and get him acclimated because he's going to be a good player for you eventually. I don't know how good he's going to be, but he's going to be good for you. So get that youth developing in the NHL. He's already possibly one of the best defensemen in the AHL for sure. Um, So yeah, get him into the NHL because he's got nothing really left to learn in the AHL. You hear about the size thing. It's like, well, come on. He's a puck moving defenseman. He's not a bruiser in the corner who's, you know, going to knock you off pucks and all that. He's an, he's a transition guy. He's an offense guy, which you haven't had on the back end for a long time. Um, so yeah, give him the chance to, to succeed, to fail, to do whatever, to learn. We remember, uh you pointed out jamie drysdale and trevor zegers last year jamie drysdale was not good at all last year and he's playing a lot better this year so maybe you can get something like that where next year he's ready to have a strong impact and who knows i he might have an impact this year yet if he gets more comfortable but yeah get the young guys playing get sandberg in there um I would I would sell Cop uh, and Stastny very soon. Um, probably Brendan Dillon as well to make room for an extra body there. I haven't loved his game, and I I don't think he's going to be a huge part if even if you're a contender uh, during his contract. So he just would, hasn't fit in here. He just yeah, it just hasn't it just hasn't happened. I agree, happens. and like I don't. I didn't dislike the trade when it happened. Yeah. Like I thought it was a good idea, but for like, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like you said, so I would trade him as well. Get what assets you can. I, I argued on Twitter earlier for a full rebuild for the jets. I don't know that they need to go that route. I think it'd be an interesting route, especially with the names available in the draft in 2023, but let's go in a direction and like as a fan, I want to be excited about something. So if we're not contending that excitement for me is the young players and what they're going to be in the future. So it's more or less my quip. Uh, I see you guys are already getting tired of listening to me. So I'll pass it back to list. It's just kind of like driving through Saskatchewan on the highway. It's just like, it's the same old thing. Like, Let's get to medicine hat already. And the, the scenery changes, like, let's do something like, come on guys, get in. I totally agree with the kind of the way that Brian went. It's like, I want something to be excited about. Right. And it's, you know, if this year, if it's not in the cards for it to be a cup run, then let it be me being excited about the future. Like root for your own guys. If you want your own prospects to be good, give them the opportunity to succeed. Did anything change with Cole Perfetti as a player between September and now? No, the only thing that changed is that when they put him in the NHL, they put him in a situation to succeed. Good line mates, good usage, 
good opportunities, things like that. And that's the kind of thing that players need to be good. That's what other players give their team. Oh, if he's as good as you guys think they are, he'll be good in any situation. No, that's not how it works with developing young players, especially not young defensemen. Actually, no, young players at all. It doesn't work that way. So root for your own guys. You want them to do well, set them up to succeed. And I think that's the route to go as opposed to the cup run. Um, and yeah, uh, you guys kind of summed it all up there. And I think that's a pretty good place to end it. So um, I think I'm about to sign off here. Go tweet um, something about how um, Billy Hanel is actually closer to Dustin Bufflin than Logan Stanley is, and then just delete the app for the night and see what happens. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, Chris, Jackson, Brian, thank you so much. Um, this was always a good time. We'll get this one out soon. And um, we'd love to chat with you all about it on Twitter. As always, um, give us your thoughts. Let us know what you think. And uh, we'll see you very soon. So take care, guys. I'm Kurt Kielbach, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.